Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. What's up, guys, and welcome back to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We have a special guest coming from Maryland. Started off just the last two years trying to get into real estate, networking your face off, really, to build the relationships and make sure that you're partnering up with the right people, right? Had little little to no money first getting started into this game, just like a lot of us, right? And the resources were slim to none. So you were networking and figuring out how you can get started. You started off with, I think you're on your third deal right now within the last two years, but you started off with a duplex, two units. Then you jumped into a ridiculous size flip that sounds overwhelming from what you're telling me before. And then now you're at a 34 unit property and you guys jumped into this property in June, I believe. But I think what's really awesome about this is that you know, within two years, you've been grinding and figuring out like how to get the relationships built up so that you can actually get this real estate investing really flowing, right? So for anybody out there that doesn't know a little bit of who you are, do you mind just diving into your character, who you are, where you're from, what you do and and the whole nine? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a little bit about me, let me go back to the beginning. So I started off in real estate back in 2017. I was graduating from college. I had spent my entire last semester in college just looking to get a job. And I literally landed the job like days before graduation. Yeah. So I get the job offer and I start looking at my salary, compensation and PTO package. And I'm just like, damn, it's not enough money. Like yeah. I don't make enough money to, to do what I want, which at the time I just wanted to go ski. And I didn't have enough PTO where I was going to get enough days on the slope. So I'm just like, all right, I have to make money while passively and while I sleep. And that led me to real estate investing because that's what Google told me to do to make passive income. It's like bonds, CDs, dividends, and real estate. So I'm like, I'm going to go with real estate. Yeah, so that's a smart move. Yeah. So I moved back home with my parents and I'm working. I have this really long commute from, it's like outside of Washington, D.C. up to Baltimore, Maryland. It's like an hour each way. And I'm like, I got to get rid of this commute. So up in Baltimore, I bought this little duplex with an FHA loan and I just house hacked it. And I got into that deal for literally $4,300 like because of FHA, got some seller subsidy and a repair credit. And it was like, I made that money back in like four months off of rent. Yeah. yeah. So was where, like, where was that property? That was somewhere local in Maryland and yeah. what was the purchase price on that? Yeah. So that was up in Baltimore City and I bought that thing for 170 k Yeah. And then we got like a, I think it was like a $5,000 repair credit or something because I had to like make some repairs at some point. But yeah, so 170K with, I think, 4,300 down at the closing table. I love it. So do you still own this? No, I sold that duplex last year. Okay. And how much did it appreciate in value or what was it looking like? Yeah, it did. It was the only duplex in the neighborhood. So like with even with two to four units, they'll usually comp it off of like comparable sales. Because there were literally no comps, they valued it based off of the rent. And I somehow got like ridiculously high rent for my upstairs apartment, 
<laughs> so this appraiser, when he comes in to like do the appraisal, he just like, how much is that rent for upstairs? I was like, eight fifty. He's like, you got a lease? I was like, yeah. He takes the lease and within like three minutes, he's out of the house. Didn't even do like a physical inspection. And I get it back and it appraised for like 198K, which was $28,000 more than I bought it for. Nice. Okay, great. I love it. So you sold that one. And then when did you start? The next transition was that flip, right? It was an overwhelming yeah. flip. <laughs> yeah. So that was while I was in Baltimore. So with that duplex, you know, I had to evict the first tenant I ever had upstairs. That's a funny story. What? Right away. Right away. Yeah. She stopped paying. So I had to evict her Did cash for keys. But so I got a new tenant in there. She didn't damage the place. So once I had the place like, well, not cash flowing, but I'm living for free. I'm like, it's time to go find a new deal. And I'd always want to do the Burr method because I'm just like, you know, I want to build equity and I want to be in these properties for no money. I have no construction background. So I'm like, I need to go do a rehab to get the experience and just, you know, really figure out what this business is about. And of course, you know, three years ago, it's still like ridiculously hard to find deals. And this deal comes up literally 10 minutes from where I was currently living. I went and toured it with a, with a realtor and I had a partner at the time. And it was like this big, well, not a big property, but it was a 100 year old house and needed everything, you know, new roof, new plumbing, electrical, HVAC, floor joists were like cracking. So we had to do like a full gut job on this. And me not knowing what I'm getting into, I'm just like, yeah, it's just numbers. You know, we got our rehab budget, which we way underbid. Let's just do it and we'll, we'll we'll figure it out as we go along. So we did that flip and that was extremely overwhelming for me. You know, I, I learned a ton about contractors and a ton about construction, but I mean, I got way in over my head with that and I should have started off with a smaller rehab. It's just, you know, I thought it was a good opportunity at the time and I thought we had to put a a small little team into place. But I just don't think that with that deal, with it being a small little flip, the pie wasn't big enough. And the partner who was going to help us with the construction, I don't think he prioritized it very much, which is, you know, looking back, kind of understandable. Like if he's got bigger business to do, sure. uh, it's going to fall to the wayside. So while we're doing that flip, you know, it's me and my other partner who I still work with. I have this duplex. He has this fourplex. And he goes through like a six month eviction on the fourplex. Cause he's the first time landlord too. And like his yeah. first time tricks him. She's like, I have cancer. I can't pay the rent. So he made every mistake in the book, but he's just like, man, every mistake I make with this fourplex, like my tenants end up paying for it. You know, I don't collect cash flow for the month, but I'm not coming out of pocket. And he's yeah. like, every time something goes wrong with this flip, like you and I have to come out of pocket and we don't get paid until the very end. So it's just like eating into our profits. And if we hold it for a really long time, those holding costs add up. He's like, let's just go buy apartment buildings. That's what we want to do anyway. And plus, like if we had had a bigger deal to begin with, it would have been a bigger pie. And like our other partner probably would have been more incentivized to make this a higher priority. So that's just like kind of how we transitioned into apartments. And that was about two years ago. Is your area for, I guess, Maryland in general, is it more of a tenant friendly state? Oh, gosh, no. No, oh, no so it, it is more landlord friendly. However, oh, wait, no, so it's tenant, tenant friendly. Yeah, no, sorry. It's super tenant friendly. Super tenant friendly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So that's why, yeah, it's definitely not in your favor. Plus, if you're brand new making all the mistakes in the book, then cash for keys is typically your best bet, right? Yeah. 
And that's what I did to get her out, but he couldn't do that. She was wise to that. And like, he literally had to do a six month eviction for that. It was, it was painful. A lot, a lot of holding costs and just pain and suffering after. Yeah, too much. Okay, so you realized you guys got smart and we're like, hey, this flip, this whole situation is not working out well. It's always just beating us up, taking money out of our pockets. We got to wait till the very end, actually get paid out. And with multifamily, any headaches that you guys might be having, even though you're brand new, making the mistakes, it's okay. You're still having the tenants make up for it and pay for all, all the mistakes, which is awesome. And hopefully after a couple more of these, we learn from them and start getting faster and sharper, which is awesome. So you guys were like, screw the little stuff. Let's go big. Let's go now. What did that look like as you realize, and you guys were like, green light, let's do the multifamily. What were the next steps and what was kind of going through your mind? What kind of feelings were you guys taking in? Was it overwhelming, scary? What kind of thoughts were rushing through your head? Yeah. I mean, so at first you, you're on like this high, you're like, yeah, we're going to go be multifamily investors. We're going to go buy 500 unit properties and cash flow like 50 grand a month. Yeah. And then you start actually like talking to brokers and networking with people. And you're just like, these guys are sharks. They're animals. Yeah, like you're just like, the, you know, all right. So the guys we're competing with are, you know, way more experienced than us for the most part. And they have much deeper pockets. So how are we supposed to compete with these guys? So, I mean, for the first year, I mean, we're still like going through the flip while we have this. So it's not like we had money to go pay for a mentor or anything like that. So it was just like literally grinding it out, like every single day, trying to get a little bit better as cliche as it sounds. And like my partner would look for deals and call brokers and get the lingo down. And then I would be on like LoopNet or Crexy learning how to underwrite them and building my own Excel spreadsheets just to like master that skill. Along the way, we connected with a third partner over Facebook, and he worked at CoStar at the time. And so he had like a formal real estate education. So really, you know, we think he could add some value to our group. And the three of us just kept like literally grinding it out every single day for probably a year. And it felt like we were making no progress and that we weren't ever going to find a deal. And after about a year, you know, we really started to come into our own as far as like our skill sets. You know, the first partner with the fourplex, he really got the lingo down and he could start developing good relationships with brokers. And so we started to get more deal flows, which I was able to underwrite more deals and like really hone in on that craft. And our third partner, you know, he's pretty savvy when it comes to the money raising. So it was like, we could really add some value to a team, but you're still competing with all these people who are just like, you know, they've actually done deals and they're just older. They have more money. Like yeah, it's not exactly. like we really gained an advantage over these other people yeah. at all. So it was like at that point though, it was just networking and, you know, branding yourself as like, Hey, I have this skill because you got to find someone who can use it. Like I'm good with numbers. I can't really help someone who's also, great with numbers. Like I need to find someone who's like, yeah, I can find deals, but like, I hate crunching numbers. Can you do that? Of course. Yeah. Any type of partnership, right? Like you want to find somebody that can complement your weakness and, and vice versa. You know, you guys might understand the numbers or understand raising the money or understand how to find the deals. But when it comes down to what you're good at or what you prefer, what you like, what you enjoy, you know, you want to stick to to your category and partner up with somebody that's crushing it in the other one, which makes up like a strong team. I love how you're talking about basically your one partner that was networking 
getting the lingo down, right? Like the lingo is so, so important. I try teaching this to so many people that you got to call, you got to make so many connections, you got to network your face off so that you can truly get the lingo down and really understand. And then you're going to be taken more serious in the future when you call up somebody for the first time, build a relationship and they understand like you guys connect with the lingo, then they're not going to BS to you and send you those crappy deals right from the start. Or if they do, somebody like yourself, you know, somebody that's crushing it with the numbers, you'll be able to underwrite it and send it back to them and let them know why it's good or why it's not. Mm-hmm. Have you guys experienced that with other brokers sending you some crappy deals in the beginning just to test you to see how are these guys going to actually underwrite this? Yeah. I mean, it still happens to us. That, like sure. whenever we meet with a new broker, what we don't get asked anymore is, do you have a proof of funds? I feel like that's the question the brokers will ask you if they're just like, I don't want to deal with you because yeah. they know like they know most people are raising money and they're not going to have like this money sitting in the bank account. So luckily we don't get that question anymore, but yeah, like we still get lots of garbage deals that are just incredibly overpriced and we have to underwrite them within like 48 hours and get back and just say, you know, like at this purchase price, it just doesn't work for us. And, you know, maybe the reason is like, we just don't see an opportunity to raise rents any further, or they've already done all the renovations and they've picked all the meat off the bone. Sure. Yeah. And that's a big key factor, especially in a market that we're in like this right now. A lot of people are not doing much. Like there's no meat left on the bone, as they say, for for multifamily. So therefore, like, what are you going to do? You're just going to bet for on appreciation. It's just not going to happen when it comes down to multifamily, because just like your first duplex, when you were mentioning that the appraisal went off of the income that the rents were producing, that's exactly what multifamily is, right? Right. Love yep. it. All based off of the net operating income. Yeah, exactly. So tell me about your guys' education. How did you come up with the education? You obviously went to school for financing, so for business financing, correct? Yeah. Yeah, okay. finance and accounting. That's what okay. I made. But as far as real estate goes, was there any shift with that or did it kind of just go hand in hand and the underwriting started making sense for you? Not at all. <laughs> Not yeah. at all. Because Slightly different, right? <laughs> Yeah, because you can know, like, I understand how the models work. And now when I underwrite deals, I know what's going to have the biggest impact on the value, which, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's your rents. Like, if you can yeah. raise your rents, you have a lot of room to run. Yeah. But especially when you're first getting started, like, you don't know how the buildings operate. You haven't looked at enough deals to know what looks normal and what looks different. And that completely changes also depending on what market you're in. and what type of building you're looking at too. And then I still struggle with this is the renovation costs. Like I'm not someone who can just like look at a building and walk in and say like, all right, we need to do this, this, and this, you know, I'm estimating it's going to cost this amount of money, but luckily I I can work with other people who have more experience with that. And they can just tell me, they're like, all right, this is what I think it's going to cost to, you know, put up new sheetrock and paint it. Yeah, I think for me personally, I was very bad at that in the beginning as well. And then what I realized over time is networking with other people that were very experienced, done, you know, 60 plus flips or so. And then you can can look at their spreadsheets of past projects of like, hey, this is always what I'm paying. This is a fair market cost for doing this type of, you know, framing or whatever, plumbing, electrical. And then once you get those numbers together, then you can start seeing as your projects go on and you'll just learn it over time. But yeah, that's something that a lot of people struggle with, right? Do you guys put like a a pretty 
strong cushion there just in case a miscellaneous cost? Well, like for the current deal we're doing, it's a pretty big value add. So yeah, I have like contingencies everywhere. Yeah. I mean, on top of like the normal 15% contingencies that a lot of investors will put on their deal and, you know, it could be like 10 or 25%, but like I have contingencies for like the roof, the HVACs, you know, you audit all those when you do due diligence, but some of those are going to go out at some point and you can either replace them with cash flow or you could, you have to like actually raise the money to go replace them. And if 16 of our HVACs go out, our cash flow is not going to cover that. No. So it's like, we have to have like some sort of buffer in there where we can say, yeah, like we, we have this in the rehab budget to go and replace five of the HVAC units right now. So when it comes down to multifamily or, I mean, let's be honest, any type of real estate in general, when it comes down to investing, it's all about the value add, right? Like the cash flow is awesome. The rents, you always want to increase where you can. And if you can add a laundry unit or whatever, a gym, a playground area, like all these things are great to boost up the income, the value of the property. But when you're talking about the full renovation, almost like the Burr strategy, right? Because that's what you're almost doing. You're doing like a long-term burr slash flip. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. The long-term flip when it comes down to big multifamily, because there's going to be a certain year point that, hey, you kind of max out, you cap out, and then it starts going downhill a little bit as far as your returns. So when it comes down to this, what are you guys doing to stay ahead of the game? You mean as far as like once the returns sort of flatline? Yeah. And are you guys focusing on doing the full remodel in the beginning or is this something that you're planning on doing over time? So I guess, let me tell you like what we're planning to do with our 34 units. Yeah. So I mean, we bought these 34 units and like completely mismanaged property where the previous owner was just putting anyone with a pulse in there. And then you know, now we're dealing with this eviction moratorium. So it's really tough to get people out. Oh, and, you know, we're in Arkansas and like, they don't know what tenant rights are in that state, which is great for us. So we're still able to do evictions, but you know, it's slow because the courts are backed up. Sure. So right now our plan is like, we have to get these tenants out of there yeah. and we're redoing, we're renovating the down units. You know, we've proven that we can still rent them out at our pro forma rents once we've renovated them. So that's like the first stage of our rehab. We're doing a little bit of exterior work in conjunction with that on one of the properties just because it was having a little trouble leasing up and we think that's going to help a lot. It shows the tenants that we care, but we have a couple of exit strategies in mind. The first one is, you know, after a year, once we get all these down units renovated, there's still like other paying tenants. We've proven the concept that, hey, if someone else wants to come in here, you can renovate the rest of these units and you're still going to get like $200 rent bumps. And keep in mind, these units are renting for like 650, 700 bucks. So 200 bucks is a, is a ton like, yeah. of money on your rent bumps. No, that's huge. So, yeah, like enormous. So that's like the first phase where it's like, okay, like, do we just sell it right now and capture the equity and then go put it into something else? Or at that time, if we decide we're like, hey, you know, this thing is really performing great right now and we've completely rebranded the property we can continue renovating those down units and do more i guess like common area stuff sure and then once we've like fully increased the noi to where it's stabilized we could just go refinance that and if we did that we'd try to get something like a fannie mae or freddie mac you know an agency loan or even a hud loan that's like assumable because that's just a really attractive thing to like offer to an end buyer where it's like, there's agency debt on this. You get 
It's like 30 year amortization, super low rates, non-recourse loan. And I'm just thinking of my end buyer here. I feel like someone is going to be willing to pay more for something with great long-term financing on it, as opposed to like having to go to a community bank where they might get like a 20 year amortization. Yeah. I mean, we're in a type of market that investors are getting crazier. There's people out there with money or, you know, doing 1031 exchange and, you know, they need to park their money somewhere. Right. So if you can set them up with a multifamily, even if it's just good to go and there's no meat on the bone left over, you know, they'll still be okay with it. If you can get them, like you said, the good financing, right? I love that. Yeah, especially in Little Rock, you know, it's a it's a strong cash flow market. So sure. you could buy something turnkey and if there's good financing, you're probably still going to get double digit returns. Yeah. I want to talk about the rehab a little bit more, if you don't mind, just diving into that, like why and where you guys decided to do the remodel. But then also after that, I want to talk about the location. Why the location before we switch over? So how'd you guys come up with the scope of work? And did you raise extra money just in case? And are you trying to knock out as much as you can up front over time? Just do the remaining as the tenants leave. So luckily, I didn't have to do the scope of work this time because I'm, <laughs> I'm not good shit, at it, baby. <laughs> yeah. Three of my partners are much better at managing renovations and construction than I did. Yes. And the property management company we're using, they have a construction arm. So they develop the scope of work and the rehab budget in conjunction with the property management company. And then you asked just like, how much are we doing up front versus like saving for the back end? Yeah. So yeah, up front, we're trying to renovate as many of those down units as possible because they're, you know, they're not performing. So the sooner yeah. we renovate them and get new tenants in there, literally that income is just going to go straight to our bottom line in our cash flow. Sure. No, I love that. So are you moving any tenants into other units as they're ready or are you just increasing the rent slowly on them as it is until they move out, giving them 30 day notices? No, because right now, um, again, like the last property manager, when we bought it, he was just putting anyone in here with a pulse. So a lot of them weren't paying. So we're just evicting them right now. And then the tenants that are paying, you know, we're keeping them in there and trying to keep them happy. And at that point, that's when we're, when we renovated and leased up all the down units, we have the decision to make, do we just want to sell this right now to the next investor? And, you know, there's a ton of meat on the bone for them to continue to add value, or do we want to finish it off and do it ourselves? And depending on what the tenants are like, if they're really good tenants, you know, we may want to move them into another unit or we could just be like, sorry, like, we're just not going to renew the lease because we can get like a higher I guess, class of tenant in there. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Cool. So let's talk about the location. You know, why? Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. I yeah. Love it. So why this area? And is it booming? Is it right on the cuff, you think? It's it's on its way up? No, I mean, I think it's like, it's a nice, stable little market. It's a state capital. And you know, I just learned this recently. State capitals always tend to appreciate value over the long term. But the real reason for this is, you know, I met a friend through Facebook and then met her in person at like a live event and we just stayed in touch. And she found a really good deal in Little Rock where the numbers penciled out and she had to put a team together. So I was just like, you know, I like you. I trust you. My other partner, Ryan, he was in on the deal too. So I was like, I already know like half the team. This just looks like a really good opportunity for me to get into my first multifamily deal. And I probably shouldn't be too picky waiting for that perfect deal to come across my desk. Yeah, no, that's so true. 
So now what did you, did you have to put any money in any, any other resources besides your financial awareness, your financial skills and background? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all of us, all the joint venture partners had to come to the table with our own, you know, equity for the down payment. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we actually bought it like with a master lease option, which is pretty cool in my opinion. Like we, we did it creatively and we got some really amazing terms. Yep. Thing so knowing, anybody yeah. out there that doesn't know what that is, do you mind just diving in a little bit of what a master lease is for people? So, Cause I love creative real estate investing. Yeah. That's where the magic is really made. You can get very creative and figure out where there's a problem or, you know, there's always a solution and it might not be as black and white. If you're very educated and you, you got the whole, like Rolodex of tools that you know how to to maneuver this, you can create an amazing deal to make it a great win-win situation. I love that. Yeah. Master lease options are a sweet tool. They've just like been opened up to me because of this deal. So like with normal seller financing, like the true seller financing, the owner has to own the property free and clear. Sure. And then like with a master lease option or a wrap mortgage, it's basically the same thing but we're paying the seller's mortgage for him. And like, we have our own amortization schedule with him. So I'm just gonna throw out like random numbers here. Let's say the seller's debt payment every month for both of these properties is $5,000. Well, he's gotta come up with $5,000 while we have this master lease option because he still holds title to the property. Yeah. So what we, my partner did who found the deal is like, she negotiated these great terms where she's like, we're going to make these payments to you every month so you can continue paying your bank. But our payments are like straight out of the gate, like 60% principal, 40% interest. So we're just paying down a ridiculous amount of principal. And we're, we're on, I think our rate is, I know our rate, it's 3% on both of these deals, but it's just seller financing where the owner still has debt on the property and like, we don't have title to it yet. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It's super, super powerful. So how you guys got that deal. And obviously the woman that you partnered up with is very savvy to be able to negotiate something like this and find this deal. Do you know how she got that lead? She got through a wholesaler, believe it or not. You're a wholesaler. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wholesalers are amazing. That's how we just locked up our recent project. That's how we picked up our last one in the past for the fourplex. So wholesalers are amazing because it takes away the time of going out there and doing your own marketing and so forth. You know, you pay a premium to get the wholesale deal, but it's well worth it so that you can focus on, like you said earlier, your strengths, right? Instead of wholesaling can be like a whole nother business right? All by itself and very time consuming. Yeah. And like, I'm not good at finding deals. So yeah. for me, like, great. Just like have a wholesaler, like give you a deal. Yeah. It's outsourcing at its finest. I love it. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So this location, it really stood out to you guys. I assume there's job growth, population growth, something unique about the area besides being the state capital that really, you know, showed the good signs of a strong market, right? Well, so, I mean, it's it's a stable population growth. It's not declining. You know, the fact that it's a state capital means there's always stable government employment there. Sure. The thing that I really liked about it, though, you know, even when we closed, there wasn't like this full-blown eviction moratorium. It was just, it was the CARES Act eviction moratorium. You didn't know it was going to happen. 
And the fact that Arkansas is like one of the most, if not the most landlord friendly state in the country, that was like a huge selling point for me. And I didn't want to be in a state like Maryland where, I don't know, like if we had to do all of these evictions in Maryland right now, I would definitely be losing sleep at night. But in Arkansas, like we've already been able to do evictions and it's just so far, it hasn't been a huge deal. Yeah. Nice. Have you guys offered any cash for keys just to, Hey, we'll give you a couple hundred bucks because I've done this in the past. Like if they're, especially if they're uneducated, I'll, I'll say, Hey, I have 500 or a thousand bucks. It's either going to my lawyer to pay, to get you guys out like very soon. And it's going to mess up your credit or you guys can take this no questions asked and, and keep it moving once I get the keys and you sign this. We tried doing that because I mean, cash for keys is like almost always the better option to do. Sure. But you know, it's we're in the middle of this pandemic and a lot of people are like, we don't have a place to go. So okay. it's like stay in our apartments and get evicted or potentially be out in the street and get COVID. So it's, mm-hmm. it's tough. I'm like thinking of it from their perspective. I'm like, there's really not a lot of options, but we have to run this property. You know, the sad part is that when people feel trapped and they feel like they don't have options, when realistically it's like COVID or no COVID, whatever it may be, when there's a will, there's a way, right? If, if you told them, hey, I'll give you 100000 after you move into a new place, you got to afford it all on your own to get into that new place and everything else, they'll, they'll jump on it. Like, let's be honest, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. And there can be every excuse in the world before that if they're not fully motivated and just being stuck in their comfort zone. So it sucks when people do feel trapped because, you know, your heart has to go out to them and and just feel bad and sorry for that situation. But it's just one of those situations, especially if you have a bad property management company in the beginning, that's just letting any Tom, Dick and Harry come in there. Um, So you guys hired on a new property management company right away. That has been obviously a pretty awesome move for you guys, right? A good life change right there. Well, I mean, we had to do that because our closest partners live like four hours away. So we're definitely not going to go there to like collect rents, move people in and do showing. So yeah, I mean, that was essential. Obviously it's in-house right at that location. There's how many? One, two? Uh, What do you mean? As far as employees that are uh, doing the property management? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. It's a third party company. Okay. Yeah. So they like assigned to our property. We have like a part-time maintenance person because I, you know, at 34 units, we can't afford like full-time people. So we have a part-time maintenance person. And then we have someone who does like our leasing and collections, but he manages a couple other properties with ours. I think all in all, his portfolio is like a hundred units. And then there's another person for support. I think she also works with either the same portfolio of properties and she helps with like leasing and collections. And they all report to the regional manager who the regional manager is the one that we end up speaking the most with. Gotcha. Okay. And then how often are you guys meeting up or having those meetings throughout the month? We have a weekly meeting with like our entire team and our regional, but right now, you know, we're doing a lot of rehabs and a lot of evictions. So we're probably talking with them like every day, every other day, because there's just so many moving parts going on. Sure. Okay. And then as far as the handyman on site, they live at the unit? No, no, he lives in Little Rock. Okay, just close by. Gotcha. Okay. 
Awesome. Any learning curves that you've experienced as, you know, in the last two years, as you've been going down this route of uh, turning into a rock star real estate investor? Definitely contractors and construction. You know, I'm still, I still have a huge learning curve with that. That's been super tough. But also just even like with numbers, you know, I, I think I have the potential to be really good with them. But especially like now that I'm finally in like my first true multifamily deal, you know, what you underwrite when you've never done a deal versus like what I would underwrite now that I actually have some experience. I feel like I know like what areas I need to be more conservative with going forward and what areas to like really hone in on and just like be accurate. Yeah. And there's underwriting classes out there. There's amazing stuff really to get your calculators in place um, to be able to move quick and more proficient. Right. So that's awesome. When it comes down to learning curves and learning when it comes down to contractors, right? We've all experienced the headaches, that contractor, it's like a different beast almost just yeah. think completely differently, more hands-on instead of thinking with their head. So, and no, no disrespect to any contractors out there. There's amazing, I'm not disqualifying every single one. I'm just saying, you know, the rule of thumb is there's a lot of bad eggs out there, unfortunately, just like there's bad investors. But what I was going to say is, you know, what has helped me over the years is paying with credit cards on making them take credit cards and not pay cash can always save you as well as, you know, so they don't run off with your money. And if they don't do the job, you, you call into your credit card company, get your money back. And then also just have, try to get as detailed as possible with the scope of work. And that's going to drive them crazy for the most part, because the, you know, it, it just can be nonsense if you're dealing with somebody that's more on the affordable side. But mm-hmm. if you don't have that detailed scope of work, my God, it, it will be a pain of, hey, I told you, put the, the closet over here. When you put it over there or whatever, the doorknob over here, it's like, oh, geez, having that can make it a lot easier, right? Well, and that's the tough part too, because I think you do want a really detailed scope of work. But if you don't have a ton of construction experience, yeah. You don't know what to put in that scope of work. So you're literally just, it's just like, you have to learn by doing it and you're going to make a lot of mistakes until you finally get enough experience to say, oh yeah, like, you know, I need to tell the electrician that like he needs to connect the thermostat wire to the panel or you yeah. tell the HVAC guy. And like, I made that mistake before too, or like I had my HVAC guy and my electrician arguing with each other because they're just like, the HVAC guy was supposed to connect the disconnect. No, the electrician was supposed to connect the HVAC disconnect. I'm just like, I don't know who's supposed to do it. (laughs) Somebody needs to do it, right? Yeah. Someone needs to do it. But I was like, you know, I don't want to tell the HVAC guy to do it and like have him start fire, but it also seems like it should have been his job. But, you know, just like through experience, like you learn that stuff and it can be painful. Yeah, it can. And what I recommend is like, try to find an awesome contractor and really buddy, buddy with them. Like even just pay them for a little bit of their time to give you the the walkthrough and go on other job sites with them. Try to get the education of like, hey, what am I really looking for? What am I missing here when it comes down to this particular scope of work or whatever? What is beginning A through Z look like for this task? And who is responsible typically for it? Because every job site is different. Every crew is going to be different. Every contractor thinks slightly different. So it's good that you're crystal clear on how you want to move forward. And then you lead by example your crew to really be able to get the end goal of, of what you're looking to accomplish, right? So I think that's very, very crucial. 
Any other big learning curves or anything that you would recommend to the listeners before we start wrapping this up? Yeah, I think one thing that's been a huge game changer for me is when I started looking more outside of my backyard, I had to get a lot more active on social media to network with people. And like you definitely, you know, you go through like imposter syndrome where you feel fake and you're like, am I focused more on being a social media person than an investor? Mm-hmm. But that has allowed me to connect with so many more people than I could ever connect with at my local RIA. Because I have like 2000 Facebook friends. And then if you go into these Facebook groups, there's tens of thousands of people in them. Yeah. I mean, you just like, it's like a sales funnel where you can just capture so many leads on social media, so many more than you can in person. And then when you actually go to like live events or if you're meeting them at a local RIA, instead of spending like the first 30 minutes just doing small talk, like you can get right down to business because it's like you already have an established relationship with them. Sure. I mean, just getting active on social media and like podcasting, things of that nature. Like if you're not doing that, I truly believe you're missing out on a huge opportunity. Of course. Yeah. I mean, your personal brand is everything, right? Like it takes years, it takes a lifetime to really build out your network, but the power behind your network is everything, right? Like that's what's going to give you the resources, the the experience, the, everything, the deals, you know, yeah. you the money, you know, whatever it may be, it's right there. So not being shy, getting out of the comfort zone, really networking and expanding that network will turn into your net worth, like that old saying is. So it's, it's very, so true. It's so it true. It is. I love it. Well, John, dude, I appreciate you so much. I really do. How can we get a hold of you for the listeners? Any uh, links or anything you want to share? Feel free to. Would would love to be able to connect more with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm pretty active on Facebook. So if you want to connect with me, it's John Stober, S-T-O-E-B-E-R. I John underscore Stober on Instagram as well. And then we are group wrote this free book called how to analyze apartments, how to analyze big apartments and make them feel small. So you can catch that at bit forward slash. I'm forgetting the name. It's like bit.ly forward slash underwriting ebook. Uh, I'll have to give you that in the show notes because I'm completely blanking on the link right now. We have our own own podcast too uh, called the millennials multifamily podcast. So you can check us out there as well. Love it. Love it. Yeah, that's awesome. We definitely will. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll have everything in the show notes as well. So all the listeners, make sure you check that out. And as always, if you guys want to reach out to me, you can do so at facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott investor. Otherwise Instagram, it would be Brandon Elliott investments. If you guys need any type of credit repair done for you services, then you want to check out credit repair mobile.com. And then if you're looking to get educated, get, you know, fix your own credit in record breaking times, 24 hours to 10 days and so forth, then uh, as well as build up credit, personal business credit, six figures up to seven figures and be able to leverage it successfully, make your credit, your money work hard for you in real estate or any type of business, then you want to check out our education online at Credit Council Elite. That's where you'll get all that fun, awesome info that will literally change so many people's lives. So we're definitely blessed and grateful to be able to share that content with you guys. 
If you have any questions at all, we are here for you. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get the next notification for next Monday for the newest episode. And as always, leave a review for us. Share this out to somebody, whoever needs it, would love your feedback. It does truly mean the world to us. We got a big goal to get this out to a million plus people and really be able to you know, make that change, that shift to help educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action in real estate. So with that being said, John, man, I appreciate you so much. It was a blessing having you on and great content. I'm so excited to see what the next two years brings for you. Many blessings, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon. This was great. All right, guys. Till next time, stay blessed. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliottinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.